You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. All right. So kids up to second grade who are uh, headed into the kids area can go ahead and go back there. They'll be led to their classes to continue worshiping and learning. And uh, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 1. So uh, if you want to follow along there. You should be able to find a Bible near you if you didn't bring one and uh, help you follow along there. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to uh, look at verses 9 through 14 this morning. So I'll give you a moment to, to get there. And uh, then we'll read this. Uh, I'll read it out loud if you would follow along and then we'll, uh, we'll ask for the, the Lord to help us just for this here. All right. So Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul who is uh, speaking here, and his son in the faith, uh, another believer named Timothy, was actually writing the words down. So you may notice that he says we. That's uh, because he's speaking on behalf of Timothy as well. So verse 9, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we confess our need for you. We understand, Lord, at least in in some limited way, hopefully in a more full way this morning, Lord, but we understand that, uh, that we cannot do what we gathered here to do this morning. We need your Spirit to accomplish everything that we've set in our hearts to see accomplished that the Lord Jesus, even as Ben prayed and and Roosevelt prayed, would be lifted high for us to see that we would be able to behold him and treasure him and devote ourselves to him in love and in obedience. So Lord, we, we thank you that you gathered us here this morning to do this. And we trust in your spirit to accomplish it. Please speak through your word this morning. Allow us to not only hear, but to understand, and not only just understand, Lord, but to embrace, to believe, and to obey. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a little power from the Holy Spirit there. (laughs) Guys, do I need to do anything, or is that... Okay, cool. All right. so we saw in, uh, in Colossians, in the, in the very first uh, few verses, we saw Paul 
introducing himself and introducing Timothy, uh, his son in the faith, and writing to the, the saints, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, uh, an ancient city uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and he says, grace to you, peace from God our Father. And then he launches right into his thankfulness about them, about the faith that he's heard that they have and their love for each other and for all the churches. And, and they had received the gospel through Epaphras. So uh, Epaphras had heard the gospel in Ephesus and then had carried it back to his hometown of Colossae, where he just began to do what was natural for a new believer to do. He's speaking about the things that he's seen and heard about the Lord Jesus and about uh, the fellowship that he has with, with God now through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ. And as he's speaking, people are coming to faith in Christ, and a church is forming, uh, not, not in the way I think many times that we see churches form, where uh, a Christian guy feels a certain calling, a, a particular calling, and he sets out maybe with his family, and, and they have a lot of support and a lot of help. This was much more uh, kind of organic and raw and unplanned kind of church planting. And so this church begins here at Colossae and has been growing up now for years. Paul has never been there, um, and yet he has a real love for them because Epaphras has brought message back about their love for Christ and about their love for each other and their unity in the Spirit and so many good things. And yet, uh, and yet he's also heard through Epaphras that there's a danger to the church, that there's some false teaching that's crept in and it's distracted some people from Christ and, and so that their attention is now divided and they're maybe looking to some other things, some other methods and, and, uh, and traditions that they would partake in that they feel would increase their holiness or increase, increase their union with God or their fellowship with the Spirit. Uh, much of it is very mystical and, and so... Um, Paul is addressing these issues, but, but before he gets to the point of addressing them all, he's just overflowing with thankfulness for them and about their, their love. And then he comes to verse 9, and verses 9 through 14 really are just Paul and Timothy expressing to the church what their prayers for them are. And you imagine that uh, someone like Paul, an apostle who was uh, daily acquainted with all the anxieties of all the churches. He had traveled through uh, what was at that time basically the known world, uh, everything from Southern Europe and the Mediterranean to, to Asia and the Middle East and, and either Northern parts of Africa where people were being sent to plant churches to make disciples. You can imagine all of the prayers, all of the things that were on Paul's heart on a daily basis. And now he's in prison in Rome, and all he's got time to do is really just pray and seek God and, and ask God to do what obviously he can't go and physically try to do. So it's important for us now to see, and, and it was important for the Colossian church to see what were Paul's desires, his prayers for them, and he doesn't, you notice, we've just got verses 9 through 14 here, a real compact list of things that Paul is saying, this is what I hope to see accomplished in your hearts. These are the things that I'm praying for every day. He says, we do not cease to pray for you. You imagine him on a daily basis, remembering them, praying for them, pleading to the Lord for them. And so what is he asking for? Well, let's, let's read it again and just understand this, not as a, an inspiring excerpt of an ancient text or 
or just some neat words or some, you know, wow, man, that would look awesome on a coffee mug. But really as a prayer of a spiritual father for the people who have come to know Christ and are growing up in him. Listen to this prayer. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. He's saying the day we heard about your faith, about your love. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking, and now here we go. What is he going to ask for? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I mean, that's all. Just filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And as if that wasn't enough, he goes on. And everything that he's going on here is based on that first initial prayer that they would be filled with all this wisdom from God, understand their calling from God, who they are in Christ, and the life that they should now live, obedience to him. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. A manner worthy of the Lord. What is the Lord worth? Everything. Absolutely every drop of us. He's worth it. So as we grow in the spiritual wisdom and understanding filled with the knowledge of God's will, that it would pour over that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And, and that walk there is, uh, he used that word on purpose. Uh, the word walk there is really something that he's pulling. You know that Paul grew up in, in Hebrew traditions. He was a Pharisee and, and, a, and an extremely educated man in the Old Testament scriptures. And very often in the Old Testament, you see this imagery of someone walking. And when they talk about your walk, you know, we use it all the time, don't we? Hey, how's your walk with Christ? How, how are you and your wife walking together? This, this kind of, it's no accident that we talk that way. It's, uh, it, it's something that throughout the scriptures is used as an imagery of your daily life, the way you live, the way you carry yourself, your manner of living. It's your walk. That you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this is his initial prayer for them. He's asking so much. He's asking for everything asking for everything, that they would have the pinnacle of Christian existence there in Colossae, that there would be nothing from God that's held back from them. There'd be nothing they miss out on, no promise they fail to believe and lay hold of, no, no amount of holiness that they fail to walk in and honoring God. He's praying for everything, and he's praying, you imagine, on a daily basis. He says he doesn't, he doesn't cease. They never stop praying for them that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So with some false teachers here trying to lead them astray, there was knowledge that they were being given that was not knowledge from the Spirit. And, and we, we spoke about it briefly last week, but uh, Gnosticism was uh, a growing popular kind of religious movement at the time. And Gnosticism had this uh, the, that word Gnosticism actually comes from gnosis, which is a certain type of knowledge, but it's a type of knowledge that's very, uh, that's very withheld, it's very segregated from your life. It's very cerebral, but it doesn't find its way into your walk, into the way you actually live. And so there was a certain knowledge that they were being given, that they were being taught, but it wasn't a knowledge from the Holy Spirit. 
listen, there's, um, there's a lot of knowledge flying around in the world today. We know that. We also know that there's a lot of knowledge flying around the churches today. Uh, a lot of things that are taught, a lot of things that are embraced, a lot of things that are claimed to be biblical based on maybe one verse of scripture that's just like plucked out of Jeremiah or something like that. And it's like, you've got to know this, but it's completely removed from the reality of who Jesus is and what he died for and the life that we're called to and obedience to him. It's completely removed. It's just gnosis. It's, it's not this kind of intimate knowledge and awareness of what is in God's mind that would overflow into the manner of life that you actually walk in. You can see in Colossians 2, 4, in verse 8, and verses 16 and 19, I'm actually going to ask you to kind of look forward a little bit here, and, and I'll show you what Paul is combating. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. Just worldly knowledge that produces no good fruit in you and does not glorify God or overflow into a walk that's worthy of him. Verses 16 through 19. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are just traditions. Take them or leave them. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance, the thing that drives us, the thing that overflows into why we live the way we live, that belongs to Christ. This isn't just knowledge in our minds. And so you can see what Paul's trying to do here. And what we're all trying to do is abandon this just completely cerebral pursuit of God and actually be filled with all spiritual wisdom and insight that would flow into a life that leads to a walk that's worthy of God. It's worthy of God, something that God has called us to and that he's pleased with. The second thing that he's praying here for is that this spirit-inspired knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding would lead to this walk. And we know that our, our walk is our daily life. It's how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our energy. How do we act and how do we speak? The lives that we're actually living, brothers and sisters. Not some hypothetical life like last night of youth camp. What would you do? They put a gun to your head. You're going to deny Christ or, or die. You know, not these kind of magical situations that we all try to put ourselves in at time and just wonder, who am I in that situation? Who are you now? Who are you now with what God has taught you? Who are you now in terms of the life that you're called to? Is it worthy of Christ? Now, I'm going to stop for a second, and, and I'm going to make sure that the gospel is being preached over the gospel. Layers, because we need layers, because we're layered creatures, all right? We're speaking about spiritual wisdom and insight that would drive us to live a life, walk out a life that's worthy of the Lord. But listen, friends, 
we know that we have not been perfected yet. So, so please don't be the person in the room who's looking around going, man, I know there's a lot of dudes, a, a lot of ladies in here who are nodding their heads in agreement. Man, they're living a life that must just be worthy of the Lord, and I know I'm not. We are all that person in this room. We all know that not one of us is living this comprehensively pleasing life to God, that there's no failure in any of us, no limitation in any of us, no immaturity in any of us. We all need to grow, and that's where Paul starts to address again in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. May you be strengthened with all power. What, what is the purpose of the power that Paul's praying for? The purpose of this power is that they would be empowered to live the life they're called to live. That they would worship God in spirit and truth. That their manner of walking would be pleasing to God, would be worthy of him. May you be strengthened with all power. Again, we need to stop. Be strengthened with all power. As Americans in particular, human beings in general, but as Americans in particular, we're very independent in our spirits, very independent. It's, it's like, if anybody's going to make this happen, it's got to be me. I got to get this done for me. I can't count on anybody else. If I do, I'm weak. If, if I'm counting on another person to lift me up when I fall, then that person just became my boss. That's the American ideal. We scratch and claw and climb over other people to get what's coming to us. And, and sorry if you got stepped on in my path. Hey, land of the free, home of the brave, right? You want it, you go get it. You want it to happen, you make it happen. So there's something here that's really contradicting a natural spirit in us raised in this culture. That you may be strengthened with all power. Woo! Praise God. Red, white, and blue. According to his glorious might. Strengthened with all power according to his glory. Not according to your degree of discipline and perseverance and diligence and how your parents raised you. Man, I'm just the kind of guy that goes and gets it. I'm just the kind of lady that's real disciplined and, and type A and I know what I want and I've got goals in life. I'm goal oriented and I'm going to make sure that I pursue the goal until it's accomplished. Not according to your might. According to his glorious might, untapped might, unfettered might. There's no bit of power that exists that doesn't flow from him. All the power is his, and we need his power desperately. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What for? For endurance and patience with joy. For endurance and patience with joy. Endurance is a difficult topic. 
The Colossians were facing it. We face it all the time. Endurance is a difficult topic because anytime you're speaking about endurance, you're speaking about suffering necessarily, right? We're not just, we're not just enduring a ho-hum existence. We're enduring a life that is fraught with suffering with an awareness of our own limitations, our own inabilities to get ourselves where we want to be, where we pray to be, where we seek to be. We cannot get there on our own. And this glorious might flowing from God that, that really even uh, that, that Paul elsewhere says is an immeasurable power toward us who believe. I don't know about you, but I, I think because of my sinfulness and because of lack of belief at times, I fail to really have an experience that tells me God's power towards me is immeasurable. You know that's an us problem. That's not that some of us receive more power from God. If you're in Christ, his power toward you is immeasurable. It's gloriously mighty. It can't be measured. Our experience of that is limited because our belief is limited. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Man, here we go. Qualified us. Qualified us. How are we qualified? Are we even qualified? Man, I, I mean... If life is a race, and I'm looking at all of you, and I know, I know a lot of you. I don't know some of you as well as I wish I did. Don't worry, that's just that glorious might emanating. <laughs> if, uh, if, I, if I knew all of you as well as I knew some of you, I think I wouldn't be surprised it, there would be a continuation of what I, I already feel at times. A real disqualification in myself. Do you ever feel that way? Like, like there's stuff that, that I know I'm called to live in and walk in, and I feel like I'm not even qualified to step up to the start line. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like there's a, a person in your life who has a great need just a, a, a surmounting need in their life. And here you are, and you understand it's by God's providence that you're here. You're standing on the doorstep of their suffering and their pain. And at the same time, you feel like you're disqualified to even speak of the things that would encourage them or give them hope. Because you know yourself. I know me. How can I say that? How can I minister in that way? How can I stand in that position? So often... Because of my awareness of myself, I feel a real palpable disqualification. So what we have to do here is not count on everything we've been told, not count on how mommy and daddy raised you and how affirming they were, not count on how gifted you are and how, how, how fruitful your labor is or how much money you make or how well-behaved your kids are. None of those things qualify us. None of those things allow us to enter into a relationship with a holy God who's just better than us in every possible way, far above us and beyond us in terms of holiness, greatness, majesty, 
worthiness. We're so unworthy even to approach him. The thing that qualifies us is not us. It's the Father. The Father through Jesus, his Son. That Jesus died for reprobate sinners. Awful people. Died for terrible, terrible people like me and like you. Who had absolutely no qualification to stand on, and yet by the blood of Christ can enter into the most holy place with confidence, having been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Because of that, we're qualified. Because of Christ. And so you can see Paul is constantly turning them to look on Christ, not on their circumstances or on this false worldly knowledge, and not on their own strength or their own ability to pursue God, to know God, to love God to endure with God, always perpetually looking at Christ who qualifies them, who loves them, who keeps them, who's building them up, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ with thankfulness. We know who this gift flows from. It flows from the Father to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God God is a being that if we stop and and really examine his character and his nature, the, the natural human response is to recoil because he's so far beyond us and he's so perfect in all of his ways and all of his thoughts and all of his plans and because we're not like that, we see him as an intimidating, imposing figure and rightly so, amen? God is an intimidating figure. And, and if we don't feel that way, then we're really missing who God is. If God is just grandpa in the sky with just a pocket full of Werther's Originals that he just wants to unwrap for you on the porch, he just wants to rub your back and encourage you and, and who you already are, I made you to be special, you're so special. Without Christ, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And an almighty God who transcends eternity has condescended to make himself known to us. This is our God. And this fellowship that we're sharing in, this inheritance that we're sharing in together with each other because of Christ allows us to be unified to a God who is in his character impeccable, in his holiness pure, in his power immeasurable. His love endures forever. His mercy is bottomless. His wisdom unsearchable. His authority universal. His sovereignty incomprehensible and comprehensive. His judgments are unimpeachable. His grace is free, brothers and sisters. His faithfulness is eternal. We're sharing in this inheritance in light together. Apart from Christ, forget it all. Forget it all. Look at Jesus. It's the whole point of this letter from Paul. Look at Christ. 
Look at him. See him high and lifted up, magnified, exalted over the heavens and the earth. With authority over all things, this Christ has died for you to bring you into a relationship with a God who is so far beyond you. To be lifted up to that position with him. Apart from Christ is an unthinkable thing. Is an arrogant thing. It's not because of us. It's because of Christ that we're qualified to share in this inheritance. And this life that we're called to now, this walking in this way that's worthy of the Lord. When we speak of worth, when we speak of worth, I don't believe that apart from the scriptures, we can really attribute anything to God that, that really actually reaches, reaches that point of satisfactory commentary. We cannot speak of God in a high enough way, can we? A, a, apart from what we already know God has revealed to us, and we're counting on him that he's revealed himself to us in a way that we can adhere to and submit to and be correct. But again, this is not just about knowledge. This is about our walk, about the way we live. And so if, if this was Paul's prayer for them, and we imagine that Paul was seeking to live this way, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, then what could we say the Lord's worthy of apart from just everything? Just everything. All of us. Here's the way Paul said it in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's knowing. That, that in view of Christ, everything else in the world becomes not just neutral, it becomes a loss. Like, like these things are detracting from my experience apart from Christ. If I have Jesus, I have everything. He says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. If I lose everything, everything, there's no qualifications on that statement. He doesn't temper it by saying, well, I mean, not the things I hold most dear or not the things that God's gifted to me or, or, or caused me to steward in this life for his glory. Certainly not those things, not the things that I believe glorify God. Yes, even those things that if I were to lose all of it and still have Christ, I would have everything. That's the worth of Christ. He is all worthy. He's worth endless hours of devotion and thought and prayer and study and worship and service. Endless hours. So while, uh, while wolves in suits <laughs> tear souls to shreds, calling them with this empty promise of increase in wealth and worldly security. Let us be a people who are desperate to increase in the knowledge of God and find our souls 
lifted with this untouchable joy. This untouchable joy. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Basically what Paul is praying here for regularly, daily, without ceasing, is that they would in a way fully pleasing to God live out God's will for them. Empowered by God's spirit, Joyfully doing God's work for God's glory, secure in God's gospel. It all belongs to God. And that's what he's praying for them without ceasing. We, we always want to be learning primarily what the Bible says to us, but you know, sometimes it can be appropriate to help uh, and helpful to, to take note of what the Bible doesn't say to us. And that's not primary for us. You know, we, we need to be focused on what the Bible actually says. But, but there are times where it's appropriate to notice what the Bible doesn't say. Here's a list of things that Paul and Timothy were not prioritizing in their prayers for the believers in Colossae. It didn't make the list. Comfortable, painless lives. Mm. And we wish he prayed for that, don't we? <laughs> that they would be satisfied to know God vicariously through their favorite preacher for an hour a week. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. My, my, my. He didn't pray for that. That they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and insight. Don't we want that? And that the result of that would would produce in us a walk of life that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I, I don't even feel like I live in the neighborhood of life that's fully, fully pleasing to God. But he's worth it, isn't he? He's worth a life that is fully pleasing to him. That there would be no shadow. There'd be no sin. There'd be no false motive in me. No gossip, no slander, no no disrespect. No exalting myself above others. No pursuing my own will and avoiding God's. A life fully pleasing to him is his desire for us. Is it our desire for us? So here's what I want to plead with you about, brothers and sisters. And believe me, I've wrestled. And and I'm no exception. And so I'm talking to us. I want to plead with us that we would truly, truly abandon a way of life that sees God as something we're pursuing and not as everything we're pursuing. 
that we would not see him as a part of our life that's very important to us, but we would see him as our life, all important, that there's no other goal that we're even pursuing, and that any secondary thing like our marriage and our children and our work, that God calls us to live in a way that is worthy of him, that we would be living it as a calling to God to glorify him, to honor him, to magnify Jesus in what I say and what I do at all times, that this would be my walk, my walk, my manner of living, and that it would be pleasing to the Lord fully, that I wouldn't be satisfied with living a life that's partially pleasing to the Lord. Well, I, you know, I know I really just stink in these areas and I just haven't gotten around to repenting, but look what I did over here. Look how diligent I am in this way. Look how often I'm at church or for my own sake. Look, for me personally, I'm a preacher. How easy would it be? How tempting would it be for me to say, well, okay, I'm a jerk at home. But when I stand in a pulpit, everyone respects me. Everyone thinks I'm really holy and I've really got it together. So being a jerk at home, well, surely God would understand I want to repent, repent of every ounce of sinfulness in me. Every ounce, everything that's not worthy of God. A God who would send his own son to die for me, to shed his blood for my sins, that he'd bear my cross. What kind of life is worthy of a savior like that? 99.9% of me? No, brothers and sisters. Every drop of me, every bit of me, Every particle in my being, every cell, must be enslaved to the cause of Christ. Or it's not worthy of the Lord. Oh, God is so worth it. He's so worth it, brothers and sisters. Repent, repent of calling him a thing that you like, a thing that you love, a thing you pursue. Call him your life and pursue him with all of your being. You will not regret it. But if you spend your money to pursue boats and weekends and time off and retirement, you will sorely regret it. Sorely, deeply regret it. It'll be a wound, a wound in your soul. Pursue Christ. He's so worth it. May we be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. He's qualified us. He's called us. He's delivered us. He's transferred us, redeemed us, forgiven us. He's so worth it. Again, we, we find ourselves... Um, those of us who are in the room right now together, we find ourselves in a very unique situation, getting to know one another, learning to love one another, sharing in this inheritance together, but, but learning how to walk together. Let's be sure, friends, let's be sure that this walk we're beginning together is a walk that is fully pleasing to the Lord, that honors Christ, exalts Christ, and that any one of us, 
If we find ourselves exalting and elevating our our own causes and our own desires above Christ's, that there would be a quick and immediate repentance, a confession and a desire to be in true unity in Christ together so that our walk together would be worthy of the Lord. He's just so worth it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.